We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to episode 218 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN and The Guardian, and unlike Ansu Fati, who wasn't old enough to receive the Man of the Match Award, Frances, you definitely meet the age limit to be my co-host today. Hola, Gules. Yeah, um, I'm a little bit older than Ansu Fati. I think I'm old enough to be his age twice, um, which is not a good start of the podcast. Obviously, two old men talking to each other about Barca. You know, it's not it's not great. But um, no, I am I am proud that someone else has come through, and hopefully, you know, we can get better things to come in the future from him. Well, you say old, I say wise, because again, it is our job to sit here and wax poetic about Ansu Fati, and it's his job to light up the world and light up Villarreal. As Barcelona, which is what we're going to start by doing today, we're going to review Villarreal, the 4 nothing win, because obviously by the time you have this in your ears, Barcelona might already be taking on Celta de Vigo. That happens on Thursday, and then on Sunday is Sevilla, so another big one there for Barcelona as they have started their late La Liga campaign as everyone else had gotten started. And, and because of the way that Barcelona continued the Champions League run a little deeper than everyone else, they wound up starting after everyone else. Well, after we talk Villarreal, though, we will also be discussing some of the transfer stuff as we close out this week where the window ends on the weekend. So Barcelona are now against the clock to figure out the rest of what they need to do. So that's what we're going to hit today in the show. But again, we start with that 4 nothing win over Villarreal. And I think the best place to start is the name that I mentioned in that little intro there. Frances, I've got the numbers here, so before I get to them and put everyone to sleep, I want you to tell me how good Ansu Fati is. He's very good, isn't he? Um, I think that once and for all, we can see that La Masia that has produced someone worth worthy of the caliber that we had with Iniesta and you know Messi and th- that sort of player. Obviously, still early days, uh, but I think that 
us trying to hide the reality is is pointless anymore. I think this is someone who is poised to be a regular starter at Barca, bar injury or bar anything unexpected. Um, he already starts for Spain as well. And uh, he's a juvenil. He's an under-19 player. He's 17 years old. And I think it's extraordinary that this guy just does what we've been asking of Dembele and we've been asking of Neymar and we've been asking of all of these players before him. Um, and he seems to do it and he seems to do it right. I mean, I think that, to be honest, out of the two players that I just mentioned, especially Dembele, I think that um, Ansu is a much more intelligent player. I mean, he doesn't do anything for showboating. He doesn't do anything unnecessary. He plays with his feet. He runs and, you know, zooms forward like there's no tomorrow. But most importantly for me, he doesn't put a foot wrong and he doesn't do anything that's unnecessary. Um, he's got a lot of criteria on the ball. He knows when to push forward. He knows when to track back. Um, he knows when to associate with those around him. Um, I think that Jordi Alba being as good as he was in the last match definitely helped him. But no, I think that you know we, we need to call a spade a spade. I think this guy is, is, is here to stay. And at 17 years old, doing what he's doing, and having you know the the Baca Sagradas, the, the sacred cows of the team, uh, such as Messi supporting him behind the scenes, obviously, and not just on the pitch but beyond, and someone like Sergio Busquets after the match saying, you know, guys, calm down, you need to let this guy grow. He speaks wonders of him. I mean, the attention that he's attracting from all over the world, I think, is fully deserved. But you know, we need to. He needs to stay grounded. But I think that you know, we're talking about a regular starter for Barca for the whole of this season, unless something major, which is a disgrace, happens. Yeah, we are going to have to worry about his contract coming up. It seems like there's already rumors and talk about because he did switch from Messi's brother to Jorge Mendes recently. And Jorge Mendes is saying that the clause in the contract that was negotiated by Messi's brother does have something in it that could free him for 2022. And the club is now already saying that it's 2024. So you actually already can see the breadcrumbs as we follow this along about how that contract could be an issue in the future. But again, regardless of which board it is, you'd hope that that something can be figured out. And yes, Ansu Fati will cost a lot from the club, but again, you pay top dollar, especially for your own, and that's just the way business works. All that said, the other worry, and I'm, get, really, I'm getting rid of the negativity first because everyone knows that I'm about to go on an Ansu Fati praise fest. So I'm getting rid of the negativity first. The other one is that because he is only 17, I saw something today, I was reading about Wayne Rooney, and he, surprisingly enough, is only 33, and I've already gotten to see him in the MLS, and now he's back at Derby County. And he's a player that because he broke on so quickly, you know, the high idea that Messi, who broke in at basically 18 years old, 17, 18, really got his, his, uh, made his name with the first team at 18 and 19. It's incredible that Messi physically has remained as stable and as durable as he is. It is really a remarkable thing to see. I mentioned so many of the modern athletes where Messi, Tom Brady's another one in the NFL, LeBron James, obviously, and I know your Lakers in the NBA Finals now, Frances, so I wanted to mention that. Mm -hmm. But LeBron at 35, what he's doing in the NBA is completely unprecedented. Again, Tom Brady, maybe he can't throw as well, but what, he's 42, 43 in the NFL. And so we are seeing that these high, high-level athletes, if they are durable and if they have not had injuries over the course of their career, they're able to sustain it a lot longer at the top level. So my hope is that as we go into the 2020s, that science and, and, and trainers and, and medical advice, are, I've gotten to the point where Ansu Fati is able to sustain this level a long time. But again, we're talking way in the future that it is worrisome that a lot of times players that break in at 16 and 17 wind up burning out a lot faster. That's just how it happens. You can't put this kind of pressure on 
these kind of bodies. And it's not just mental, but as we talk about physical too, what Busquets is saying, it's okay. So I think, as I, I, I said, I'm going to actually, I did undershoot the number of goals that I, that obviously he could score this year. I said, if he went from eight to 12, that would be a good sign. But now we're looking that 12 could be really easy for him. Honestly, if he's going to score two in the opener, that really we're looking at more like 18 to 22. And that realistically could happen with just how good he's been. And you hit all those points here. His movement has been tremendous. You know, you notice Spain that it seems like he just looks a bit, a little bit like a different player than the one he was 16 years old to being a 17-year-old. And at that age, too, you're absorbing things and you're improving so quickly. So the idea that Ansu Fadi is improving exponentially as the months and weeks go by uh, is pretty incredible to note. Ansu as well, I, again, going to just throw a little bit of negativity to temper people that for as much as Barca's attack was going through the left, because we are going to talk about Griezmann, don't worry, we'll get to that in a second. But as far as Fati goes, Barca were able to get the best out of him by going with the counterattack. That's how his two goals came. They came from that. They went down by the 30th minute of the match against Villarreal. They had gone down the left side with Alba and Fati eight times, seven times through the middle, and once on the right. So they are playing through Fati. And again, that is just uh, indicative of how good he's been so far. His abilities on the ball to dribble at defenders and put himself in spots to succeed to score goals. Now, he does have issues where right after he scored the second goal, he was then going for his hat trick. Clearly, he's 17. He wanted to get it, and he winds up cutting off Messi's pass, and you could see Messi gave him a little of an earful. But again, I'm not upset about Messi's whatever relationship there. That is all about the fact that Messi is the captain, and he's explaining something to a 17-year-old, and I am not going to read into that in any way. But Ansu did have one or two other mistakes where his runs were either off or later he was in the wrong position, but I thought defensively he was really good, and his Numbers speak for themselves. Let's all close this out. 83% pass accuracy, 63 touches, 10 touches in the opposing box, three take-ons completed, two chances created, two fouls won, two shots, two goals, and one penalty won as well, which he just, as you mentioned, his character, he threw it right to Messi to give him, to get him on the score sheet. And again, those 10 touches in the opponent's box is really what sticks out to me because we went from a player last year as a 16-year-old who was coming off the wing. We knew he was a winger. And now he's already at 17, about to be 18, growing into his body. Now he's becoming more of a menace inside the box and becoming more of a goal-scoring threat, actually right near the goal. And that's adding another facet to his game, which makes him so dangerous. And yeah, it's been incredible to me, Frances. So I think the good was on Sufati before we talk about some of the negative stuff. But in a 4-0 win, you got to start with the good. Of course, of course you do. And uh, at the same time as well, I know that you've tried to sort of throw some negatives in there. Um, I want to say that not everything that Ansu did was fantastic. Uh, I think that his first half, especially the first 25, 30 minutes, were great. But obviously, not every pass he made was going to the right direction. Not every association, not every risk-taken sort of chance had to be taken risks. So obviously, this is a player that is growing. I mean, he's exceptional. He's fantastic. And, you know, he's got a great future ahead of him. I don't think we need to hype him to unachievable levels just yet. Um, he is good. He's growing. He does make mistakes. But I think that the great thing that we are seeing is that because he's showing and because he's growing and because he's associating and he's scoring, etc., 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 he's doing so well, then he's earning his time, which is what, you know, we've been asking for the Barca manager, whoever that is, um, is trusting the youngsters coming through. And it's good to see that um, Fatih, fully deservedly, obviously, is getting that time to grow. It's great. Sure, that's, and that's a big difference there. When, where the veterans, when the 30-plus-year-olds make those mistakes, 
we go, that is worrisome to me because they're making those mistakes. But as much as I sounded negative about Fatih, it's not that at all. It's that he's still growing. And it's incredible to me to see that a player that is still so good. Yeah, he makes a few mistakes, but if he irons those things out of his game, I mean, Barca already have a star in the making, but they will have a superstar by the time he's 20, 21 years old. And again, I'm not comparing him to Messi, but we do kind of also remember that Messi was so young. He was the best player in the world by 22, 23. He'd won multiple Ballon d'Ors by the age of 23. That's just how good Messi was. So again, we're not comparing him to Messi at all. But as far as having a role model right next to him to let him understand how quickly he could become a superstar, it's another ace in his hat. So awesome to see. Now, Unfortunately, we started on the left flank, and Frances, that means that we're going to have to head over to the, the right flank, and over on the right flank was Antoine Griezmann. Now, I know you might zag here, so I want to zig first, and as I had already read, that Barca had attacked down the left eight times, seven times through the middle, once from the right. Again, by, this is all by the 30th minute, and that basically continued on as the game went on. As the second half happened, I almost threw away the second half of Villarreal because that game was over, and neither team wanted to get hurt because they both had to play midweek games. So I think that was a lot of nothing after that. As Barca were really, really flying high, it seemed like Griezmann wasn't really playing a factor. But all that said, I noticed on the first Fatih goal that Griezmann brought three defenders with him, and this is a breakdown by Villarreal because as good as Barcelona were, Villarreal were not so awesome in that game. And so three defenders just go with Griezmann, leaving Fatih wide open for that one-timer. But a lot of the internet, obviously, who just watches the match in a way, and they go, okay, Fatih succeeded, therefore Griezmann and Roberto were utter garbage. But I don't think that happens because of individual players, as I had mentioned. I mean, clearly, even before the match, it seemed like, and I, I don't know if you saw the same thing, but was it that Coleman, you think, is directing things down the left and basically doing what we know it has to happen in modern football, that if you have one side of the pitch where you have, in our case, a left back and the left winger who are constantly bombing forward and overlapping and constantly getting forward, that means the right side of the pitch is going to have to be a little more defensive, just so that you have numerical advantages where you need them. And so Griezmann was defending well on the right wing, and he also was switching, I think, very fluidly with Messi at the number nine position. And then Roberto was, you know, tucking in as a third center back for uh, much of the match. So as much as they were, we were, were getting on Griezmann and Roberto for being utter trash, I think part of that is what their job is. And I think we're going to talk a little more about this after the break. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. And last time I did this ad, I mentioned to everybody that I did spill some Chipotle on myself when I ordered it a few weeks ago when I was at work. And now, this time around, recently, my wife and I ordered it together to the house at home. DoorDash still got it to us at the same amount of time in the same wonderful food is all ready, prepared, nothing spilling out of the bag. And my wife made sure, hey, we were going to make sure we use a plate and we're going to do this the right way. So I have to say, nothing about DoorDash, just that for an update for me, that I was much better and my pants thank not only DoorDash for keep everything nice and tidy in the bag and get it delivered on time and hot and ready to eat, but also that I have done my due diligence and a little bit safer when I get my food from DoorDash. So many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too, though. It's not just those chains. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off 
and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The wait is finally over. Football is back. That's American football for all you at home. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So back from this break, I think the other reason, too, that I want to mention, just strategy-wise, is that when you look at how Griezmann isn't really getting service, even looking at the passing map, that Griezmann, it was Busquets to Griezmann with the most passes that Griezmann received, and he also received the least amount of passes in the forward six players. Messi's cutting in from the right to the left, right? So he's moving to his left and away. Any pass to Griezmann would be back behind him in that way as he's going across, because he's usually looking for that diagonal ball to Alba. And then Coutinho, who's shading over to the left and helping defensively with Fati and Alba. We're going to, again, talk about Coutinho later. But then he's then working inside. So he's going from the left to the right. To me, this is a compliment, I think, to Coleman for making all those puzzle pieces, at least at this point, work as well as they possibly could. Coutinho obviously was not, you know, mind-bendingly awesome, but he, he did well enough. And Griezmann in the same way. I think he was getting involved in the attack outside and bringing defenders in his way where he was going. And the other thing I'd mentioned was I, I was noticing, and I even circled in the match review that I made up, that Griezmann kept attempting to make those runs in behind. We call them the Terry Henry or the David Villa, whatever it is, the guy who should be in the middle for a lesser team, but is playing out on the wing for Barcelona. And those runs weren't hit. De Jong, Busquets, Messi, Roberto Coutinho all looked him off on different attempts. But if they just one time make that ball and they're able to complete that, then Griezmann is in behind the defense for a goal. But he continued to make those runs. And I am concerned that he may stop making those runs, but he is so far shown that he is a disciple to the way that managers want to play in terms of his discipline. So I don't think it's going to that he'll disengage, but I am worried that other teams will try to game plan for that. But even I say that, I, you know, I don't want to overthink it, that if Griezmann continues to try to stretch a defense like that, he's doing his job. And if Barca is scoring and Barca is winning and the goals are coming from Fati or Messi, I guess my point is, like, who cares? We want Griezmann to get 10 or 15 goals, but if he's not the, on the end of it, but he's taking up so much attention from the defense, then he's doing his job. And I, I think that's my defense of Griezmann at the moment here. But do you have a different idea that Griezmann might have just been poor or that Barca still aren't getting the best out of him? Well, we won the game 4-0. Um, we need to start by, by saying that. Um, Kuman has got a 4-2-3-1 formation that is fairly new i mean you know we're talking about the first match of the season and we haven't had the you know the, the ordinary longer preseason. um so he's been you know kuman's been going for like a month or probably five weeks now and um griezmann has been a fixture throughout um i think you can read into that in two different ways one kuman is so in love with what griezmann adds that um he cannot think of anyone else to play in his position or at least as a starter or two, he's just trying to work out where to fit one of the most expensive signings Barca have had in their history. I think he's in the top three of Barca um, expensive signings of all time. So, unfortunately, I think he's the second. Um, I think that Griezmann has to play. I think Griezmann has to be found. And I think Griezmann still hasn't found himself, not necessarily as a player, because he's been excellent or he was excellent for France and he was fantastic for Atletico Madrid. 
but fitting into the Barca system alongside Messi is something that he's finding difficult. And, uh, you know, Barca last year were playing on a 4-3-3 most of the time, um, 4-2-3-1 that we're doing now, and Griezmann still hasn't found his ideal position. Um, I think that because Messi is so great, basically, um, he can play in pretty much any position in attack, out of the four, so the 3-1 up front, Griezmann really has to find a position that suits him. It looks like Kuman likes to play with two wingers that can push forward. So I think that on the left, Ansu Fati is non-negotiable. He's going to be starting pretty much every match um, unless he's unfit, which hopefully won't happen. On the right, I think it's pretty obvious that it's going to be either Dembele or Trincao most of the time. So that only leaves Griezmann with two positions. He playing as a striker, which we know is not his preferred position, or playing behind the striker, which should be the position that, you know, ideally he would like to play. I mean, if we know playing for France, he was playing alongside Giroud, so that's a two at the front, and Griezmann being sort of the shorter guy up front, the most mobile guy up front, uh, next to someone who can pass the ball to him. And that was the same in Atletico Madrid with Diego Costa. So that's not something that's going to happen at Barca, but I think with the two in the, you know, the, the striker and the attacking midfielder behind, I think that's how he's going to have to be arranged. Obviously, Kuman hasn't found the answer. Griezmann himself has not found the answer. But at the same time, and you have been mentioning about the amount of goals that you're going to get for every player, or Barca, you know, want to get from every player throughout the season. But I think it doesn't quite matter, as you rightly mentioned as well. I think as long as Barca get the 80, 90 goals in the league, which we traditionally do, then it doesn't matter who scores them. Obviously, the most spread, the better. Um, so from, from this perspective, I think that Messi playing as a false nine, which he has been doing, and he did against Villarreal for most of the game, um, you can see him drifting away from the striker position. Because Messi is someone who obviously likes to come back, build from the back, associate, and basically be more unpredictable and go wherever he wants. Obviously, you cannot really tie Messi up to you know being together with the last defender, the last centre back, because otherwise you kill his creativity. So I think that that would be the position in which Griezmann has an in. Um, I don't think, based on what we've seen from Kuman's game so far, I don't think Kuman is really sold on having the same in the attacking four I'm talking about the same player in the same position they always rotate they drift towards the side etc etc to keep the, the opponent guessing obviously so i do think that griezmann is someone who kuman really wants to trust to start i'm assuming someone from the board has told him as well like look we signed this guy for this much money see if you can make it work i do think that griezmann is giving his and i don't doubt this at all He's giving his all, he's giving his 100%, but he things are just not clicking for him. And when you're talking about the runs, I agree with you. I think the runs have to be made and they just have to be found. But unfortunately, this is a new system. And, you know, I'm a footballer myself as well. And, you know, when my brother was at Barca, this happened to him as well. It's not just about how good a player you are. It's how good a player you are and how much the others think you're a good player. So if you basically... If I pass the ball to you, how much value are you going to add? Um, selfishly, is how much value are you going to add back to me, sort of thing. But in a perspective from Griezmann, just on an individual basis, is how much value is he going to add? How many goals has he scored? How many assists has he given when I've given him the ball pri- previously? And it's all about experience. So, for example, and I don't know if I'm digressing in the question, but you, you said before, Barca have been playing on the left. Well, you tell me why. Because whenever Ansu Fati has the ball, and obviously the Jordi Alba level that we saw against Villarreal as well, whenever the ball went to the left, something happened. 
if you pass the ball to the right and nothing much is created, there's not much productivity from that side, then you're going to drift towards the other. So I don't really think that Kuman has said, just give every single ball to the left, because that would be silly to do. Obviously, there must have been some direction, but I don't think that players like the young players like Pjanic that came obviously in the second half and did very well, or a player like Busquets would instantly drift towards one side. I think it's the productivity, the output, the, the, the progression in terms of moving the ball forward, the goal-scoring chances that are being generated. And unfortunately for Griezmann, and unfortunately for all of us, really, for the team, for our club, he's not producing at the same level, definitely not matching his price tag. So um, I don't think it's all lost, though. I think that there is room to grow. I think that Kuman has got, you know, I think Coutinho really will be a starter if he plays at the level that he did the other day. I don't think he was spectacular, but I think he would start. I think Messi obviously has to start, and I think Ansu Fati is a fix. So in that last position, you've got either Dembele or Tricao or Griezmann, and I think that Griezmann has to have the go-ahead because of his price tag, but also because of the fact that he can grow, and I trust that he will. Yeah, well, that's why I think I push back a little bit, that I think we are seeing positive signs. And again, the output is not there, but we are seeing positive signs of a solution being found for a problem that we, we seem not to admit when it goes away. And that is, how do you defend for Messi? Now, Luis Suarez leaving the club and we lose somebody that wasn't pressing up top and as good as he could be for Atletico Madrid, he's going to score some goals off the bench for them. Great. Or in their starting lineup. But the problem was always that Luis Suarez and Messi, when you have neither of them pressing and walking around, that basically gets rid of an entire line of defense. And that does not allow everybody else behind to set up. And basically it's the defense constantly getting hit with a counterattack. Now the, the double pivot does help prevent that as well because now you have two positions on the field who are prepared and stepping into that press. And I'm about to make the transition to Busquets and De Jong in a second, but I want to finish the point on Griezmann is that you did notice, and I think we mentioned this, that it's not going to be Messi who's going to be switching with as, as that, as that front four winds up being fluid. It's going to be whoever that left winger is. And again, Fatih has, has proven himself to be the starter. He's going to stay and be the left winger, but Griezmann and Messi, if you watch their positioning throughout the match, they're continuing to switch. And so basically Griezmann is the antithesis of Messi at this point where he is defending where Messi is not. He's putting himself in the positions to get to almost stay out of Messi's way. And I actually was pretty happy with the way that they are moving together. Now, as I agree with you, the point is those connections on the ball have got to happen. That is a thing that is a big barrier. I mean, and so you can't let him off the hook for not having those connections with Messi. But as far as their movement, that is something that I really look for as where is Griezmann's position in regards to Messi. And I've been really happy to see that we didn't really feel like Villarreal were going to cut Barca out on the counter. Because if they did, it was going to have to come down Barca's left side. So it was going to be Chiquese against Vati or Alba. And both of them had a really good match defensively. You're not always going to see that. Because again, you have a 17-year-old and then you have Jordi Alba, who to my... I mean, yeah, he was really, really good in that match. He got the man of the match because... Fati is too young to, to get it with a sponsorship Budweiser, but Alba's going to have rough matches. We all know this. We all admit this, that he's going to look a step slow. He didn't in the first match of the season, but let's see, and we'll see if Coleman rotates as well with Junior Firpo. So I think Griezmann, I'm just preparing Frances to have him be, him and Coutinho, I think, are going to be our points of contention, where I think you and I are going to debate the most over the course of the season. So I do look forward to that. So let us, let's us move on, knowing that that's going to continue to be in the back of our minds. We're going to talk about De Jong and Busquets. You want to talk about worrying performances, though? I think I want to quickly shout out the pressing, the idea, the positioning that Coleman is trying to move forward with, and then mention that De Jong and Busquets were also not great. 
what they're trying to do. And I'm wondering, and my question for you, Frances, is if you're noticing when they're choosing to have on the press one of De Young or Busquets farther forward. I thought to start the match for the first 10-15 minutes, it looked like when Barca would lose the ball in Villarreal's defensive third of the field, that Barca would, as a unit, and this again, really great to see, that Messi does a little bit of a soft press up as that false nine. You want him to be shading the opponent into a certain part of the field, but the rest of your team is prepared to, in conjunction with one another, press at the same time. And we saw Messi do that. He would try to shade the ball out to one of the flanks, and then Barca would attack hard on the flank. It would be the outside backs with the winger, whether that Fatih or Griezmann, and then the defensive midfielder, Pivot, whoever was on that side of the field, De Young on the left, Busquets on the right, they would wind up basically being that third player to either help with the press and attack and cause those double teams or triple teams, but they would also basically wait in those lanes to break up the passing lanes. And that was good to see. I think the press and the positioning defensively were a really bright side for me. So it was odd to me that as good as they were, and then again, what would usually happen too, if they were far enough back and as Villarreal, and I think a lot of teams in the Liga, as I watched the Liga this weekend and the last two weeks, were trying to do this a lot. I think too many Liga teams are actually trying to play out of the back and it really hasn't been working for too many teams. So Barca noticed that, and I think, you know, it's easy to do your homework. Barca understanding that other teams are trying to play out of the back. They have either De Jong or Busquets, and to, again, this is the question I have. It seems like it was whichever player, when the ball was turned over, was farther forward, would be the one that would basically set up in Messi as a false nine, and then there would be three defending in behind, where it would be the two wingers, and then either De Jong or Busquets, and then the other one playing as a defensive midfielder, almost a free safety, if you, if you will, behind them. And it didn't seem like there was any rhyme or reason whether it was De Jong or Busquets farther forward in that position. And it did work a few times. Now, my other question is, again, that's the positive. The issue is that why were Busquets and De Jong so rough? I thought Busquets was calamitous almost. For a team that won 4-0, how could you say that Busquets, is, this Barca legend, was that rough? But he was. He just, he, whether it was on the ball, misplaying passes. I even think, again, defensively, he had one or two errors, when, errors where he had to move in the middle of the field, and he was having a hard time with speed through the middle of Villarreal. Now, again, they were poor. They didn't make anybody pay, but you could easily see how a better team would have made Busquets pay in that first half. And then De Jong in the second half, where the rest of the team seemed to turn their brains off and were able to operate in second gear, I have noticed that De Jong, he doesn't operate in second gear. You either have to have the mm -hmm. best of De Jong or you're going to have a rough performance. He cannot just give you a little bit of something, right? It seems to me that Messi is really good at being like, okay, I'll be 60% of Messi right now and conserve my energy because we're up for nothing. But it seems like De Jong just doesn't have that lever. It's either you flip the switch on or off, and De Jong clearly with the rest of the team switched it off. And he was rough in that second half, particularly when he had that, I mean, the moment you'll remember is when he had the giveaway that should have led to a goal for Villarreal. I mean, it was poor on them to not finish what was a, a three-on-one because De Jong gave it away. So, Frances, what do you make of the issues with De Jong and Busquets? But again, we noticed that this double pivot seems to be a positive, yet it was negative performances from these two. Yeah, yeah, at times. I think that, I don't think they were as bad overall as um, I think it just sounded, in my opinion. Um, I think that the young, especially the first half, because the game against Villarreal, they need to sort of take it with a pinch of salt. They are not going to win La Liga. I think that Villarreal themselves have weaker defensively this season than in the previous. I think that moving forward, they are a little bit stronger. They've had some signings that were pretty good, but I don't think Villarreal will finish La Liga in the top 10, put it that way. So with that in mind, I think, and obviously the sample size we've got is pretty small as well. So that being said, I think that having the double pivot obviously is the tactics that Kuman has gone for. 
Um, he's designed his squad as a result. I don't think he's going to change it. I mean, the Ricky Puch that obviously we talked about in the last podcast at huge amount of length. Um, that's one of the reasons why Ricky Puch was about to go on loan. Obviously, he refused in the end. Um, I think having the double pivot will help us, uh, will make us more solid at the back. Uh, and we'll give Lenglet and certainly Piquet, which is the weakest out of our two centre-backs, without a doubt, um, especially if he's not at peak level, which in terms of fitness and, and mental fitness as well, which is which is the case at the moment. Um, I think having the double people will help us in the long run. Um, having said that, I think pretty much the whole of the team will be rusty because, you know, it's, it's September still. I mean, October now, but, you know, it's, it's the beginning of the season. And um, I think the young was fairly good on the ball. Um, I don't want to judge the Villarreal game in a whole. I think that you need to analyze the first half and then the second half is sort of, you know, they were easy enough and, and things were, neither team were spectacular in the second half. I think, as you mentioned before, they were trying not to get injured and just, just finish the game. But I think that when it mattered, the young was the one moving forward the most. Um, I think he was the one that was associating. He was the one that was sort of the driving the driving gear at the heart of, of midfield. I think that when Busquets was jumping off, whenever the team was dispossessed, he was trying to allow the young to be the most creative one. Um, I think the best thing that Busquets does have, and he's had his whole career, is the fact that he can get the ball back fairly easily uh, when he's fully fit. But unfortunately, he's not there just yet. Um, you haven't mentioned this, but I think when Pjanic joined the game, he showed that he could be a starter himself. Um, I honestly think that he was more effective than Busquets, despite not having that many minutes to, to show it. Who's, who's and, gonna, uh, so who do you think is going to start more games this year, if you had to guess? Busquets or Pjanic? Who's going to start more games? I would say Busquets starts more games than, than Pjanic, but I think that Pjanic is the better player. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if you're trying, if you understand what I'm trying to say with the answer. Uh, in, in a team like Barca, uh, being a heavyweight in the dressing room is really, really important. Busquets is one of the captains. He's got the most experience. He's one of the, you know, he was one of the pillars of Spain winning the World Cup in 2010. Um, he's been a regular fixture for the last decade at Barca. So I think that Busquets will start more games than than Pjanic. But obviously, when it really, really matters, so when we get to I'm sorry if I get the timeline wrong this year because of Corona, but you know when we get to March, uh, the, the you know the final quarter or third of the season, I think that Pjanic has a very good chance of starting games, especially if we play away from home. Um, so in my ideal eleven, if I had to sort of foresee what what it would be when April May comes, I think Pjanic is part of it. But when you're playing in La Liga against teams with all due respect, like, I don't know, Levante, Huesca, Leganes, etc., I think that Busquets has a great, great chance of starting those. But it all depends on the growth that is shown. It all depends on how well the results are going. I think that if Barca is winning every match, I think that Kuman is going to have more leeway to, to, to change it up, you know, to improve um, or, or to, to give more time to the newbies. So someone like Trincao, Pedri, Pjanic, um, Serginho Dest, if he joins us, even Junior Firpo, um, if he's given a chance, I think that they will have many, many, many more minutes. I don't know if I mentioned Pedri, but certainly Pedri as well uh, will have many more minutes. But obviously, if the team is not winning, he's going to have to go for the ones that, in his eyes, will save his job, if his job is ever in, you know, in question. And if that's the case, he's going to have to go for the veterans. And if he goes for the veterans, he's going to have to play Busquets. Would I play Busquets from the beginning? No, I would start Pjanic. But obviously, that's not what you asked me. So I think that Kuman would probably play Busquets more than Pjanic for, because of those reasons. Well, yeah, it's interesting you throw out the name Trincao. I do want to, as we're about to move on, we're going to talk transfers in a second here. And I do want to mention, too, that I hope that 
Komen winds up having problems with his squad selection in that there are too many players who are good enough to start, and then he has issues. Because again, you did mention Griezmann, and it does play out that, I mean, yes, Trincao is just 20 years old, so he is really, really young, and he, as young players are, can be inconsistent. But that said, Trincao, I've continued to be impressed. Even with what he played 12, 13 minutes against Villarreal, he just changes the game. It is an extra dynamic, and while that is scary defensively, again, because if you have Fatih on the left at times, or whether it may be Dembele, who is kind of playing in the middle but playing on the left, and then you have Trincao on the right, it does make you worry about the other team getting off a counterattack because both those players are going to push forward into the box. So Barca are going to have to be solid there, but again, that's why you move to a double pivot system. And Trincao, I could see him really giving Griezmann, as we mentioned, if everyone else in the coaching staff at Barcelona see more of what you're seeing from Griezmann than what I am and just saying that he is kind of more ineffective than he is being really intelligent, right? <laughs> I think we're saying the same thing, mm-hmm. but we're disguising it in different ways. So if the if the coaching staff winds up agreeing with you, I could easily see Trincao uh, continuing to get starts. And I think Dembele, as much as he does have this big price tag, I could see his role in this team really being the guy that does come off the bench in unbalanced matches. It seems to fit him best. Physically, it might work for him as well. Just being, again, continuing to get back. We'll see how, how long it takes for a player that has not been consistently playing football since 2017, which is pretty insane to think that Dembele has never had a prolonged stretch of more than three months actually playing first-team football since his Dortmund days. And even then, he was an 18, 19-year-old at the time, or 19 when he was at Dortmund and 18 when he was at, at Reigns. So I, I think that's just the depth up top, and it's a good problem to have. I continue to be excited about the attack that Barca has this year. So as we're about to pivot to transfers, I do throw out pretty much forwards because even in Memphis Dubai, who Komen says he wants, I think there are enough forwards to get enough goals and to have this team be pretty well-rounded. And we also forget that I think the final point to, for you to make, Frances, is we're going to tee off on this Villarreal game, is I know people are overanalyzing Messi's body language. Again, I will hear nothing of that. He's playing for Barca. He's the captain. He's their leader. He's the guy. And I think having a system that just supports him defensively the way that it is, we're going to see the best of Messi, I think, this year as well. Yeah, it might not be his best, best season because he's now 33 years old, but I think that's completely okay to understand that from Messi's perspective. But do you think Messi just wasn't at his best, or do you think that, are you in any way worried that the system that Coleman is employing is not going to get the best out of Messi? No, I'm not worried. Um, I think that Messi's most important point is whether he wants to play for Barca or not. And uh, it wasn't that long ago that he told us that he doesn't want to do that. So football is about fitness. Football is about skill. But I think in Messi's case, it's about mental. Mental predisposition in this case. I mean, this is someone who really wanted out. This is someone who not that long ago said that, you know, was criticizing the board. When Luis Suarez signed for Atletico, he criticized the board again. So he is in a place in which he feels wanted by the 99.9% of people that support the club. But the guy that runs it and his team of the board of directors and his, his team around it, his counselors, etc., that he can't stand them. And uh, when you've got, when you've been in somewhere for that long, I mean, Messi's, you know, going into two decades very soon now. Um, he's been there pretty much the whole of his adult life and most of his teenage years as well. And he just doesn't agree that the person in charge is doing the things the way he's doing it. So obviously that's going to play at the back of your mind. However, he's a footballer. In fact, he's the best footballer that has ever played the game. And um, he really enjoys playing. So when he's on the pitch, you can see that obviously Luis Suarez isn't there anymore. Iniesta's not there anymore. Xavi, Puyol, all of the greats that he's been 
sort of surrounded by and all of these La Masia philosophy, etc. The vast majority of his teammates, the, the people that he grew up along with, are gone. So he's sort of carrying on the button and, and trying to, you know, instill all of that knowledge and all of that all of that pedigree into the new ones, into the, the newcomers, the ones coming from La Masia, the new signings, and he's trying to grow it like that. But obviously, it, it can be disappointing. I mean, he's surrounded by Pedri and Ansu Fati, who, you know, you can add both their ages together. That is Messi's age, you know, so it, it's got to be hard. It's got to be hard. But um, I do think that as the season keeps going and as he keeps scoring goals and as he keeps, you know, seeing growth spurts from different people around him and progression and impact and, you know, especially Barca keep winning, I think he's going to continue to to lead the way on the pitch, which he's always done. And I never had a doubt he would do that. It's just whether he wants to lead the team off the pitch as well. And it seems that he's doing that. Having said that, I think that he's got a way to go and I think that it will come with time, especially if if results are good, um, I think it will continue. I mean, I just want to mention very quickly, I think it was very telling in my eyes. So Ansu Fati scores two goals within the first 20, 25 minutes and then there's a penalty. Now, Messi traditionally gives that penalty away so that um, whoever it is, um, could have been Suarez, it could have been Coutinho, it could have been anybody, gets the hat-trick. But he didn't do it in this case. And I, I was thinking about this. I think that he did that because obviously it's the first game of the season. Strikers, and Messi's one of them, you know, forwards, goal scorers, they want to start the season scoring. It's very difficult to, you know, go into game one, game two, game three, game four, game five, and having your Casillero, having your Pichichi table at zero. So I think that's the only reason why Messi decided to take the penalty himself. But traditional Messi, the Messi that we've known for the last 10, 15 years, actually gives that penalty for whoever it is to score the hat-trick. But I think he needed that goal. And, and to me, that was really, really telling or where he is mentally. But all that being said, um, I think he needs time to be the player that he normally is uh, because of all the reasons that I just explained. It should also be noted that Messi has now scored in 17 straight Liga campaigns. So if it feels like he's been doing it forever, it's because he has been doing it forever. Now, I had promised earlier that we would talk about Coutinho, but as I as you've noticed, I keep doing this. I, pro- I lied again. I think that I don't want to talk about Coutinho <laughs> because basically we're comparing Coutinho to what he looked like in his first time around at Barca. And obviously he's playing in a more natural position behind a false nine, which is a position that didn't exist when he played for Valverde the first time around. So he's looked better. But again, the bar for Coutinho looking okay at Barcelona is so, so low. He said it, so his, he said it very low himself in years past. So I think or the jury should still be out on Coutinho. So we'll see. And as he continues to progress and gets a little more involved when it's not against the Villarreal, Villarreal team that, again, gave up after basically 30 minutes of action. So we're going to talk transfers real quick before we head out. So the one we have to start with here is Sugino Dest. Obviously, last week I would said he's going to sign for Bayern. Who wouldn't sign for Bayern with all that situation? Now, it seems that it's 99%. By the time this comes out, maybe he's a Barcelona player. But it seems like now, oh, he'll sign on Wednesday and he'll be presented on Friday. But those... That just keeps getting pushed farther and farther back as the days goes on. So we'll see. Again, by the time you hear this, he may be in a, at the camp no and, and smiling and giving the thumbs up. Now, it's one of these cases, Francesco, where I say, I mean, I'm cool with being wrong. The same thing. Frankie de Jong was a player, I think the last one that, you know, I really cried about. And uh, so I was wrong about Frankie de Jong. It looked like he was going to go to PSG. Then he wasn't. And I've been really happy about that. And same thing with Sergino Dest. I am very happy to see that he is going to be at Barcelona. Again, it has nothing even to do with the American things where he just seems to be the right player. 
at the right moment for the right price. That's, I think, why he's a great find, where it's going to be around 20 or 22 million plus a little bit more to Ajax. And uh, Barca are able to, lucky for them, because of the relationship with Overmars and Ajax, they're able to pay 5 million now and then continue to pay that over the years. So I guess that is another board's problem if Des winds up being a complete dud. But I don't think he will be. Even this season, three appearances off the bench for Ajax because Mazraoui is healthy. And I think the talking point here that I want to throw at people, because again, I think we've been watching a few highlight reels of Dest, and we understand the kind of player that he is. He is much more of a attacking, marauding right back. And we saw that last year, he, prior to COVID at least, started eight of the last 10 matches as Mazraoui was injured for most of the season. He had five assists last season and 20 appearances in the Eredivisie for Ajax. Uh, I also want to mention that why is he so good like that? Well, if you had to guess, he started out as a winger in Ajax's academy for a while, then converted to a fullback. And I think the important note, again, the thing I want to call out is that two of the three appearances so far this year were at left back, and he has played left back for the United States men's national team, the, the national team, not any youth, but the actual national team. And so him being able to play at left back, I'm not saying he's going to be converted to being a left back. I think he's more naturally a right back, but his ability to play on the left could solve a lot of problems for Barca as well, because I could easily see him jumping. Maybe he doesn't jump ahead of Sergio Roberto on the depth chart, but I could easily see him jumping ahead of Junior Firpo on the depth chart and being able to rotate with Alba. Or you could even think of it as a third center back in the way that we think of Araujo, where Araujo can fill in at left center back or right center back at necessity for Ling Lang Pique. And I could see Dest wind up being both the backup right back to Roberto, who I know people are saying, oh, he's trash and Dest is obviously going to be a starter. Absolutely not. Dest doesn't even start on Ajax when Mesrawi is healthy, and he is just still 19 years old. He's turning 20 soon. So I would not continue to overhype Dest too much. Being just 19 years old, I don't expect Dest to be the starter at Barcelona, but he shouldn't have to be. I know that he's coming into chaos, and the reason I thought he wouldn't be signed is because the board and Barcelona are in complete disarray. But signing him and letting him flourish for the next two, three years under a new board as well could get the best out of him. So again, I'm not overhyping him. I think this year he's going to come and be the backup right back to Roberto, who is a captain, who is the instilled starter. And if Des winds up really being sensational, he can overtake Roberto. But I would not expect him to be the starter. And that's okay because, again, he's just 19 and he's the future. We've been saying that we want this to happen. So just be patient with him. Let it happen. And again, I'm very happy for what he asked at the club as an attacking fullback that Barca have not had in quite some time at this kind of age range. It has been a very long time since they've had an attacking outside back this young and with this much potential early on. So it's really good to see. And again, I'm happy about the desk signing. I don't know how much more you can add to that, Francis. Sorry about that. Well, no, really, you didn't leave me too much to say. Uh, you're clearly very excited to having an American join in, but that's not the only reason why you're excited, which is why what is good, uh, this signing. I just want to say thank you to Ajax, basically, for prioritizing Barca against Bayern. I mean, the offer from Bayern was better, but better in terms of it was a little bit more money, but also the payments. Um, Barca's financial situation is disastrous. I think that everyone listening to the podcast knows that. And the fact that we have to pay 20 million euros in like four or five or six installments is quite embarrassing, to be honest. But that's that's where the board has taken us at this moment in time. So I think the relationship with Ajax is very strong, especially since the signing of Frankie. Um, I actually went to Amsterdam a couple of years back and uh, the connection through Johan Cruyff um, will always be there. But it looks like the directivas, the boards from both sides 
are actually much closer together via Overmass and obviously the relationship with, with our current board as well. So um, Serginho Des, I think, would have been happy to go to Bayern Munich. He would have been happy to go to Barca. So I think that Ajax, Overmass basically, and, and his team are the main reason why he would end up coming to us. Um, I'm always happy to have a 19-year-old with plenty of potential who's an international, has already played at the highest level at a club like Ajax. Obviously, they would, you know, with all due respect, the Dutch league is not... Uh, like the Premiership or La Liga or even La Bundesliga. But at the same time, Ajax have got a, a way of playing that really matches what Barca are, what Barca do. Obviously, we've got Ronald Koeman, who was the Dutch team manager not that long ago, like five, six weeks ago. So he's just someone that he knows. Um, Koeman has asked for him. I think it's really important that when you get a new manager, you try and get in some signings that he's asked for. And he clearly wanted Des to come to Barca. So I think that it ticks all of those boxes and that's always going to be a positive. Yeah, so we're, I'm excited to see him. We'll see what happens here. Uh, yeah, two for two on desk. He could have been for the Netherlands or he could have been for the U.S. He decided to go with the U.S. even though he was born and raised in, in the Netherlands. And then he could have gone Barcelona, could have got Bayern, and he went Barcelona. So yeah, two for two on desk. But the other one, Eric Garcia, is the name you keep seeing floated because Barca put in a bid for $10 million, rejected by Man City because they don't have or don't need to have a good relationship with Barcelona. And then Garcia, because he can leave for free at the end of the year, that's why the city is asking for $30 million, which is pretty high. All that said, Barca still have work to be done, though. Umtiti and his wages is still on the books. Tadebo still just floating out in no man's land. No one understands why. I'll admit the same things that, yeah, is he the next coming of PK? I'm not anointing that. I'm not saying he's anything. But Tadebo is, I think he's proven to be good enough to be a backup center back of Barcelona. So if Garcia doesn't happen, it just makes no sense to me. It shows, again, a desperate board needing money. And then Rafinha as well. I think he's a case of same thing with Ray Minaj from the B team. They're literally going to be waiting until the final hour until they get the highest bid for Rafinha or Minaj. They will not be around this year. And then in the cases of Juan Miranda or Busquets, who were sent back down to Barca B, I expect loans for them to first team somewhere. And then Alex Callado, even though he's hurt, the same thing. And then Mateus Fernandez who also apparently has an injury, but maybe he just was told that he's not going to play anyway. It could be both of those things. I expect a loan for him as well. So the club, I know that these players are not ones that move the needle or get people. I definitely want to listen to the Barcelona podcast to hear them talk about Oral Busquets and his, and his 2020-2021 season. But these are all pieces of business that, that Roman Planas, who, again, remember, Eric Avidal was fired just a few weeks ago. Planas still has to do yet this year. And that, the last thing I want to say, I want to say that this morning I had already published, I know a lot of content for you, but I published basically transfer business video this morning and I mm-hmm. did the calculation. So before the desk thing, so if he's only $5 million on the books as well, we should mention that currently the board sits at 21.5 million euros positive this transfer window. So that actually tells you the issues financially that are currently happening. Because as crazy as all the things with Luis Suarez's wages and all that stuff and Arturo Vidal and having to pay some of that, that just to have a 21.5 million positive transfer budget prior to death just tells you that they... They've, they have sold players and they have done business. Now, some of it has been done with Arthur and Pionic with that shady 72 million for Arthur, but Pionic signing him for 60 mil, but being able to put that over the course of the contract, just like they're doing with Dest. So again, you side-eye that stuff. Interesting to note there. But I also have to mention that this is not a defense of Bartomeu, but this is to explain that it's not just about the transfer balance. It's not just about how much money is coming in from transfers and going out. Obviously, Griezmann, Coutinho, those are really big black marks because those players just didn't, not only the marketability of those players, but they just didn't give you the production at that cost. But Barca are suffering because of the other reasons that 
have nothing to do. And, you know, not that Bartomeu can use COVID because the problems were before are happening before. But the issues that were happening was, yes, the Goldman Sachs loan that Bartomeu took is all on Bartomeu and the board and the club. Because if you're going to take out a loan to sign Griezmann, we mentioned this when that happened, that is a worrisome sign at the finance of the club as it was. Player wages also, as we talked about, got super inflated, and that's going to be a problem that's going to carry over to the next board. And as well as sponsorships, that being a difficult road as we talk about sponsors and them being connected to human rights violations, et cetera, et cetera, where, uh, you know, again, you kind of whisper those kind of things, but sponsorships are also a big part of the picture as well. And then owning your own stadium. And here is the only out that it's not a defense of Bartomeu again, but the explanation of COVID is that when you own your state, your own stadium as Barcelona do, you're not getting gate revenue. And that winds up being really, really important for clubs that own their stadiums, as opposed to ones that will say Inter Milan and AC Milan who share the San Siro. That Barca wind up, even a club as rich as Barca, wind up struggling by losing all of that gate revenue. So that's just one of those things. But yes, the loan to Goldman Sachs, the sponsorship, the player wages, that actually winds up being much, much more important than the transfer balance. So as I mentioned, this all goes back to the idea of Tadebo, that if they don't get Eric Garcia because he's too much, that's fine. He wants to come for a free next year anyway. But thinking that 15 to 20 million euros for Jean-Claire Tadebo is going to change the finances of the club is, you know, once I actually looked at the numbers, it's a little bit kind of ludicrous. They desperately might need the 20 million so they don't have to pay it out of their own pocket if that vote of confidence goes through, right? That's the point. And I think that's the only point because it doesn't actually make sense if this was a board that made any sense or a board that actually had proper business sense that Tadebo would be sold for any reason other than that. Yep, controversially, perhaps, to some listeners, I think that if Basta didn't have money problems, they don't sell Semedo, honestly. I think Semedo has progressed pretty well over the last couple of years. Um, as I said in the previous podcast, I think the A2 memory of him being destroyed, I think it's um, it's reality, obviously, but it's a bit unfair to just remember that. Um, I think that if they didn't need the money, they don't sell him um, in the same sense that they probably don't sell Artur either. But, you know, that's, that's don't even want to mention him anymore because he's gone, gone. Out of all the points you made, I just want to I just want to say and clarify in my eyes, would I like Eddie Garcia to join Barca? Yes. Would I pay any money for him? Not really. Would I pay 5 million? Maybe. Would I pay 10 million? Not really. No. I think that if he can come for 5, 6, 7 million euros, you sign him now. If he, if he doesn't want to come for that money, or in other words, if Man City don't want to let him go for that money, then you just wait. And next season, if he does really well for Manchester City this year, he stays. So what? It doesn't really matter that much. We're not signing the new Puyol here. You know, we're signing Eric Garcia, who is a youngster with potential. The same that, that Serginho Dest is a youngster with potential. Is he worth 20 million now? I would say so because of his experience, because of his, him being an international, because of what he's shown. Uh, Eric Garcia, unfortunately, in my eyes, I don't think he's shown enough to be worth 30 million euros. I do not think he's shown enough to be worth the 20 that we're talking about because, as I said, he doesn't really start for Man City either. So I would say that Eric Garcia is someone that... And if we want to take the page out of the book of um, Bayern Munich and what they've been doing and how they've been able to build the team that they built with, let's face it, not spending that much money, is just getting people on loan, which we're not even considering at Barca. No one thought of that before, but, you know, other clubs do it um, consistently and well. But put that aside... Um, signing a lot of people on a transfer that is free. So why not us? Why why are we not doing that? Why is that not even a possibility? And the thing is, we need to be ready to lose these players 
because they may eventually be go, going somewhere else, maybe eventually going to a club that pays more than us. But I think that Eric Garcia could be the next step in, in doing things, not necessarily the right way, but in a, in a bit of much more cleverly than they have been done so far. Yeah, and I think the point about Bayern, too, is you'll notice that they missed out on Shijino Dest, but then they're already being linked to other right-backs because what Bayern Munich decide to do is they say, this is the position that we need, and once their first pick is gone, then they look to get a second pick or a third pick because, again, they're trying to build a squad, and they're not just trying to get a player that they think is the one they want. <coughs> Coutinho, <coughs> Griezmann. So as unfortunate as that we're ending it there, uh, again, I don't want to kind of take the wind out of people's sails that transfers could happen but you look at all that's happening this week again two more matches for the club I also want to shout out the Barca Femini are kicking off the first we'll say real El Clasico against Real Madrid they were CD Tecon that Real Madrid had owned and now they're officially Real Madrid so we do have also against Sevilla is FC Barcelona the first team the men and then you have the El Clasico for the women also taking place on Sunday so this is an exciting week a lot going on Francis we are gonna have a ton to talk about next week so I think this is where we leave it can I jump in though Dan I uh, really really want to say this yeah. um he hasn't I haven't had the opportunity to say it until now Luis Suarez okay I have seen a lot of people just using everything that Luis Suarez that is good to attack our club, to attack the board. Now, while I understand that the board hasn't been very good at all, in fact, they've been terrible, I don't think that it helps any one of us to always sort of use what a player that has been a legend for us, a player that has been so influential, a player that has been so great. I think that we should be happy for him. We should be happy that he's gone somewhere else and we should be happy that he's doing well. But I don't think we should be constantly looking at what other players do. We shouldn't be looking at what Artur is doing for Juventus. We shouldn't be looking at what Malcolm is doing. Some people are still doing that. I don't think it helps us. I think that we need to move on. It's a new season. Messi doesn't have the Suarez support in the dressing room, which means that Messi has to socialize. Messi has to allow others to grow. It's not that this little cliche sort of do or tick that they were sort of having together with Jordi Alba maybe being the third one. And I think that that's what the club has decided. We need to move on. We need to focus on our team. And I think that if we all did that, everything would be better. Yeah, I had also made a video about Luis Suarez uh, earlier in the week, third all-time on Barcelona's scoring list, and a little fun debate about whether or not you would take him or Samuel Eto'o as a number nine. One has stats, and the other one has, we'll say, glory and a few more bigger moments in Champions League. So that's a debate. That is for anyone else to decide. You can hit us up on Twitter or or direct message or send send us an email, uh, thebarcelonapod at gmail.com. I know I never ever said that on the pod, but there it is. (laughs) It's exactly what you think it is for our email address. So you can hit us up there, but we do want to say and close the podcast here thanks so much for listening you can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe we're on social media as you know on twitter at the barcelona pod at hilton d13 for me on instagram at the barcelona pod closed facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group deeper dive discussions all that and on patreon tbpod.link backslash patreon we're also on youtube as always the barcelona podcast i have a ton of different content that i may talk about here but it also is in video format over on the YouTube channel. So check us out there and hit that subscription button. But thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Forza.